The following is a pretty lively chat I had with Nick on joystick parents. You heard that right. I didn't mean to say joystick coaches, which we covered in episode number 293. Which, by the way, if you haven't listened to that one, I strongly encourage you to do so, because it's not what you think. In that episode, we start to dispel this misguided and many times agenda-driven demonization of coaches doing what they generally should be doing, and that is being vocal on the sidelines. In any case, today we're talking about parents doing the so-called joysticking during games. No one talks about this, and it's about time someone does. From giving instructions to their own kid, to giving instructions to someone else's kid, or yelling general, real-time instructions at the team. This is happening on the fields every weekend across the country. Whether they're panicking and yelling at defenders to clear the ball while they're trying to build out of the back, or telling a player to pass, or dribble, or shoot. I mean, the scenarios are too long to list here. But you know what I'm talking about. You've all seen it in one form or another, and sometimes it can actually get quite rowdy out there on the sidelines. Is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Or like most things, context-dependent. Such is the nature of my discussion with Nick here. We try to give insight and perspective into a topic that's not out there in the American soccer mainstream. A topic, by the way, that is quite important when understanding how a player's development could be impacted. Now, to take a page out of those who would like to see coaches muzzled by demonizing them and perpetuating this lame joystick coaching narrative, consider their own analogy of an academic classroom setting. Would you want parents in the classroom telling students to do math problems a different way than what the teacher just showed them? Or how about composing some writing in a different format than what the teacher is having them learn? Or how about parents blurting out to students that they should not open up their history books to chapter three as the teacher just asked, but rather go to chapter five of a completely different book that's not even in the course curriculum? You catch my drift here. Not that teachers or the education system is on point, far from it. Having taught thousands of students myself at the university level, don't get me even started on how broken the education system is, but you get my point. Having parents inside the classroom blurting out their own views on subjects, of which most likely they are not specialists in, is the analogy I'm drawing up here. And it's not a good look, to say the least. But instead of taking the same approach as those who would like to see coaches muzzled, we try to take a more fair, empathetic approach with parents on the soccer sidelines. Because after all, I think we'd all like to see all our players improve. And a huge piece to that puzzle is helping parents acquire deeper and deeper understanding of how best they can mentor and guide their players and have them stay away from things that could harm them. On that note, parents, Make sure you're signed up to the program we're building just for you and just for that. Get on the email list. It's at 343masterclass.com. We're opening up 343's program to a broader group this new year. Okay, you're listening to the 343 Podcast. I'm Gary Kleiben, and this is my discussion with Nick on joystick parents. Here we go. And now, a quick few second mentions of what sponsors this episode. It's the best way to support this podcast, but more important, greatly improve your current soccer situation. First, if you're a coach, you must check out 343coaching.com. There are both free and premium programs for you there. Second, if you're a parent of a youth player looking for how to best put them on a proper path, 
Your solution is at 343masterclass.com. Critically important, these solutions for coaches, for parents, for players are offered from people who have actually done the work and have an unprecedented track record in the United States. All right. I hope you enjoy this episode. We're just scratching the surface here, folks, but it's an important starting point for us to further expand down the line. No, well, we did our episode on joystick coaching, and I really enjoyed that. Now, the thing that I'm encountering, and we've talked about it previously in other episodes, but it's the opposite. It's coming from the other sideline. It's joystick parents and parents who have already had kids in the club. They've already watched one of their sons or daughters play for 10, 12 years. They know a little bit about the game and they sit on the sidelines and they want to be joystick coaches as a parent, um, you know, and so I want to just talk about why so many coaches struggle. It's, it's something that I talk with my parents, you know, I communicate with them as best as I can and make sure that they know to support their kids. That's ultimately what their job is on the weekend. Um, but it's commonplace. You go to, you go to any field in America and you're going to hear some form of parents instructing, right? Whether it's good or bad. And so I want to just pick your brain and see if you've come across parents that actually do a good job on the other sideline and are productive and following kind of the same message with the coach. And is that even a possibility? Um, but, you know, for the most part, in my opinion, what I'm seeing, it's these parents that think they know everything and they don't. And it, it puts a lot of pressure on young players. It puts a lot of uh, strange feelings, mixed feelings about what they should do. And what we ended up seeing, what I end up seeing is kids underperform because of the pressure of parents on the sidelines. So I want to hear from your experience, things that you've dealt with. Yeah. Well, first off, right off that last word that you said, pressure, I am in favor of pressure uh, in many circumstances. I'm in favor of players feeling pressure. It depends, right? On the age level and things of that nature, but pressure is a good thing. Uh, I don't want it co to be completely mute on the sideline and for the kids to be completely free and everything is okay no matter what happens that's yeah. the other extreme i i don't like that so um the pressure thing out of the way of course nick of course you know i've seen what you're describing you know for however many years that we've been around i don't want to date myself but <laughs> but uh, uh yeah i would think if i had to throw out a number there i would say maybe five percent of the parents may, maybe that's being generous uh, we're totally in line with what we wanted a particular player to be doing and not to be doing. And again, when I say to be doing, not to be doing before the hyenas come out, we're trying to teach the, the kids. We're trying to teach the players certain things. Yep. Um, and what's interesting is even if a parent had been with us for eight years throughout their son's trajectory, and have read all our stuff and we've had countless discussions one-on-ones or countless meetings and maybe even lunches or dinners together and we kind of became almost like friends and family i'm talking about myself with the parent even mm -hmm. after all of that they still do not really get um what we're doing or what we're talking about and i don't blame them it's not that they're not capable at all it's simply that put yourself in the coach's shoes 
you as a coach are thinking about this 24 seven, seven days a week, and not only about their player, but in the context of the team and in the context of where the team needs to go and in the context of what the other players need from the team as well. And so maybe in a particular game, you might utilize your winger uh, a little bit different or maybe even significantly different than you have the past year. And then all of a sudden you see the parent on the sideline saying, what the heck, like, what the heck is this? Like, this isn't mm -hmm. how you should be playing so-and-so. And they start giving instructions that mimic what we used to be doing without understanding that we're doing something new here. Maybe we're evolving the player to not play another position, but to add another layer of complexity to their game. Mm -hmm. and the play, the parent may not be aware of that, or they might be, but they have no concept of what that looks like. Maybe the winger, we're trying to teach them to be more interior instead of staying on the sideline and looking for the one v ones. Maybe we're looking for him to combine more with the nine and the attacking mids uh, or, or interchange with the attacking mids or who knows, I'm just making stuff up, right, Nick? Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then the parent on the other sideline sees that this is happening and maybe the team isn't functioning as well, right? Maybe the team. Uh, it's still zero, zero at halftime or that's or when maybe, it starts, or maybe yep. we're down a goal and then they start computing in their head. Well, it's because, you know, they're not utilizing my son, how he, he should be utilized, you know, <laughs> and they start, you, you know, you know, you catch my drift, right? Absolutely. And so even my point here is even if the parents are significantly and strongly aligned and believe in what you are doing as a coach, a hundred, they are on board you still have these circumstances where you're anti-aligned for whatever reason. And furthermore, even in the extreme where they were 100% aligned, if their kid has a streak of not doing well um, for whatever reason, again, their brain starts computing and it's never their kid's fault and it's never their fault. It's other people's <laughs> fault. Yeah, it's the coach's fault, the coach's playing the wrong roster or the wrong pairing for their kid to shine or the wrong position or whatever the case may be. And so there's always going to be that friction, which could lead to coaching on the sideline or maybe coaching even off the field, Nick, where they start telling their son or daughter things that from the coach's perspective, um, creates say a toxic or a more toxic sort of situation or greater friction, right? Because it's confusing. It's yeah. Confusing it confuses. Yeah. It confuses the kid. Think about it. Even if the kid is an 18 year old Nick and yeah. you're still not fully developed, you're still easily influenced, uh, certainly by your parents uh, or people that you respect. And so you get these voices in your head and now they don't know what the truth is anymore. Right. Which is, Welcome to the real world, right? I understand. But at the same time, if, if you as a coach, and that's what we're talking about, the perspective of the coach are trying to teach them X, Y, and Z, and they'll be told A, B, and C, then it makes your job that much harder. And the ultimate casualty here is going to be the kid. I can go into examples without naming names of how that has occurred in the past. So, but I've been going on for a little bit there. Maybe you can follow up. No, and and to your point, I think the the biggest thing that I take away from that is, like you said, sometimes on game day, yes, the parents can be very aligned with our message, but when we're playing a particular opponent, things may change, and we have worked on them in training, and it's so counterproductive to have the parents, you know, even if it's as simple as telling a player to drop 
when he wasn't supposed to, right? Or press when he wasn't supposed to. These are the things that can really be counterproductive to our success on game day. And so as a coach, you know, I'm, I know that many coaches deal with this and, and it's got to be super frustrating. I think I have a good handle on it with my team because, you know, I've been doing this for a couple of years and I understand the importance of, you know, after speaking with you as well, of educating the parents as best as we can, especially with young players. The parents need to understand what we're doing and what they should be praising, right? When we're swinging the ball out of the back and we're, we're keeping the ball, um, you know, not panicking. The biggest, the biggest thing that we hear when people try and play to the back, out of the back is, oh my God, you know, kick it out, kick it out, kick it forward because the parents are panicking when the kids are not. And so um, that's the first takeaway that I took from that. The second one is, is about the pressure because while I totally agree with you on pressure, I think it's great. Pressure creates diamonds, of course. Um, there are times where... Or, excuse me, there are players who respond differently to that. And maybe they like the pressure from their coach, but they don't like to hear it from the parents. And when they're getting it from both sides, they just, their brain goes into overload. And, you know, I have some players that are very, very phenomenal, nine, 10 years old, very intelligent. And I put a lot of pressure on them in training, but on game day, they underperform in training. They're amazing on game day. They're underperforming because they're my wingers, generally. They're closer to their parents, generally. And they're getting instructions that may or may not be different from me, right? It's it's not about what they're saying. It's about that they are saying something. And so you get these differing messages in, in their brains. And the kid is like, okay, what do I do? Do I pass? Do I attack? Do I dribble? Do I do this? And in training, it's very simple. We talk about what we want to do, but it doesn't translate to the weekends. And I, I think a big reason is because we have these parents who, yes, they are aligned with our style of play, but they put a different kind of pressure. And what I'm noticing is this generation of kids is very different than five, 10 years ago. Um, some of them don't handle pressure as well as they used to. And so, um, you know, it's it's finding the balance for each player. But I just, you know, I, I love the pressure but it has to be in the right place. It has to be in the right space. Agreed. No, 100% agreed with you. And I like those examples that you're giving, particularly if every player is different and how they handle things. Because some players might be like, fuck my parents, I'm not listening to whatever they're saying exactly. anyways. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and, other, and, other, and others right out of the other extreme. It's like, oh my God, my parents are telling me this. Uh, I'm listening to them, not the coach, you know? Exactly. So, uh, but Gary, why do, you, why do you think so many coaches struggle to get a handle on this? Like, well, do, because are they, are they afraid of the parents or, you know, it's, it's tough. It, it is difficult. My initial reaction was, unlike a traditional teacher in the classroom, you've got parents spectating, you know, yes. and, and you can't get away from that. Um, and especially nowadays when they seat the parents on the other sideline. So it's not like, the, like back before then, you know, Brian and I would basically have the parents on the same side as us. Yeah. And so you can actually tell them to shut up, right? <laughs> and, and they would um for the most part and then the opponents uh the opponent coaches would be on the other side and they have would have their parents so there was a little bit better handle on the situation but when they separated and put the parents on the opposite side of the field as the coaches now you've made things worse it's a good in, point in that regard and can you get away from it i don't think you can nick the only way to get away from it is if you took a heavy hand 
at the very beginning of the season or when the, or when the kid joins a club or the family joins the club, if you were to have a club wide policy somehow that says, you know, you're subject to being basically removed from the club. If, if you're doing sideline coaching as a parent, or if you just had a team specific one, but you have to be a very potent, uh, authoritative coach, right. That can actually do that with credibility. Yeah. Um, and then, and then again, it's, I'm trying to put myself in the parents' shoes too, because it's their kid out there. It's exciting. It's a sporting event. You know, you also don't want to, I don't know, because look at how U.S. soccer try to crack down on coaches. Coaches should shut up on the sidelines. You train them on the week and then on the weekend, you let the kids play, sit on your lawn chair and say nothing, right? Yeah. Fuck, fuck you. I'm not saying nothing. You know what I mean? <laughs> And so I'm trying to take that same psyche and adopt it to the parents. It's like, if I'm a parent, it's like, fuck you. I'm here. I'm enjoying my weekend. You know, I worked 60 hours this week. You know, my kid's playing. I'm excited. My yeah. wife's excited. My husband's excited, whatever. Like, I want to verbalize some feelings, you know? Um, so it's, it's, not a, it's not an easy situation, Nick. It's an age-old question that you're posing. But... I think talking it through, through like this, and maybe having the parents listen to something like this, it could be somewhat beneficial. I think that if you can have all of your parents, 95% aligned and bought into what you're doing, you're going to be in a good situation. It's just hard to get there. Yeah, it really is. And you have to set the precedent early. Otherwise it's out of control and you can't stop it. It's like a, it's like a rolling train. So taking it from the parents perspective, what are some of the things that they should be doing for me when we're creating chances, when we're creating an offensive chances and shots, that's when I, I hundred percent want them praising the kids when we're taking risks in the back. That's when I want them praise. You know, if we get out of a sticky situation by going back to our keeper or things that other teams are uncomfortable doing, that's when I want the praise from the parents. And I understand how valuable it is, you know, to have the support of parents that are loud, that are engaged, that are active. It does mean a lot to the kids. And so part of me as a coach is like, yeah, like I want you guys to be involved. I just want them saying the right things. And I'm, I'm fortunate with the group that I have now. Most of them have been coaches before. They've coached their son. They've coached at club levels. So they take a more relaxed stance because they've seen the other side of the coin. But then again, there's always, you know, different scenarios. And so if you have a good group of parents, can it be productive, right? Is it like having another coach on the sideline that can maybe, especially if you're uh, coaching by yourself? You know, if you have another parent over there that is very highly educated with you, you know, so it's almost like having an extra bonus, like giving, giving some insights into the ear, not being super loud, but saying the right things at the right time that I can't yell all the way across the field. Yeah, no question about that. And we've had those situations where it's helpful. I mean, particularly the one that everybody participates in and sometimes helps us out and I think helps every team out. Is when they yelled offside, offside, right? And, the, and then, the, and then the ref, you yes. know, is like, mm, I, I think you, yeah, outside, right? And yeah, like, absolutely. we we got one there, you know. So, <laughs> so that's helpful. But again, they're kind of yelling not at a particular player. Uh, it's a little bit True. different, but for sure, the the challenge too, Nick, is short term versus long term thinking. 
And I think I touched on this with the excitement part a moment ago. Too many of us are thinking short term. So you have a 12 year old son or daughter or whatever, and things aren't going good in the game, maybe for the team, maybe for him or her specifically. And I think they play this movie in their head that, man, this is just a disaster. Uh, what are we doing here? It just snowballs instead of saying it's one game or it's just two games or Great point. it's just, you know, it's only been four games. It, everybody's in that mode instead of looking at a season long sort of trajectory or, or a multi-year sort of perspective and how this fits into a multi-year perspective. So when I'm telling my winger, Hey, this game, you know, we're going to train you during the week. And on the weekend, we want you playing more interior, not being ice and not isolating people want to be one on the wing for X, Y, and Z reasons. And the parent might get upset on the weekend because they're shocked and the team isn't doing great with their son in the interior instead of how it usually works out and he's scoring goals. And this time he's not scoring goals. They're pissed because of their short-term view, right? Yeah. Instead of like, how does this harm their five-year trajectory? You know, it doesn't harm their five-year trajectory or the three-year trajectory, even their season-long trajectory. So that is also the stimulus here. And we have to do a better job of educating the parents what a player's path looks like from the earliest of ages all the way through until they're done, basically, with soccer based on objectives, you know, where you want to get to. Because if, if you can really do a good job of educating that whole pipeline then they can maybe have an improved perspective and then maybe they would be a little bit more chill, a little bit more relaxed on the sideline. Totally. No, that's a great point. And, you know, another thing that where parents, especially with younger kids, right, 9, 8, 10, 11, um, parents feel that they know what is best for their kids in most of the situations. And they look at the group, they look at the team and they say, oh, my, my kid should probably be playing striker. Like, you don't have a better striker than my son but you're playing him in the back, you know, and I, I just don't agree with this philosophy. And, you know, I think it was Cruyff, if I'm not mistaken, that said, I'm going to take my best forward and put him in defense. I'm going to take my best defender and put him in the attack so that they can see the game from a different perspective. And I think that in the long-term development picture is very hard to grasp for parents because in the short term, they see their kid playing out of position. They see him struggling. They know that, okay, if I move this kid up to the striker, maybe we'll produce some goals at the cost of playing the way that we want to play. So, you know, I know coaches across the country are fielding those kind of questions every weekend. Like, how come you didn't put my kid at center mid? He's the best. How come he wasn't out wide? You know, he's the best one-on-one. -on -one. Or vice, or vice versa. They might or say, vice versa. They, might, they might say, hey, my kid should be experimenting with other positions. And you're like, dude, chill. He's the best striker. Yeah, we need him to score goals. Exactly, right? And so there's a fine line of fielding those questions and answering those questions. But at what point is it too much? You know, at what point are those conversations too much? And you just need to, hey, chill and trust that I have the trajectory of your player in mind. That I'm not just trying to have a short-term victory, although we always want to win, but the the long-term development is what we're after here. You know, how when do those conversations have to stop? Because it's like the joystick coaching. If you don't have it at least once, it, those feelings are going to be there every game. They're always going to be boiling, and then there's going to be a breaking point at some point. And maybe the, the parent's like, you know what? You're not playing Jimmy 
at striker enough, I'm taking him to a new club where he's going to be valued. Yeah. Well, when does it stop? That's, that's part of the big issue, Nick, is because, I mean, ideally it would never stop. You're educating constantly every week for years and years and years to the parents, to the parents. Yeah. Um, So that's an issue in particular. Well, actually for, I'm going to give you several things now. Um, Hit me. One is coaches aren't paid enough to do this. (laughs) (laughs) My bank account agrees with you, Gary. It's bro. And and it really irks me when I see, when I see people online and usually it's coming from parents and all respect to them. And this isn't a parent bashing episode at all. It's an educational type of episode. They're getting our perspective, right? Yep. Um, it really irks me when they're online saying, oh, it's all about the money. It's all about the money, you know, and coaches are making a killing, you know, coaches are fucking poor, ladies and gentlemen, first off, coaches are like teachers and teachers aren't well paid. Right. But, but they look at coaches as less than that of a a school teacher, but it's the same thing. You are a teacher. Okay. You're not teaching math or history or whatever, but you are teaching this activity, this sport, okay, you are a teacher and you are grossly underpaid. You might be making, I mean, there's a big range here, obviously, yep. depending on what club, where you're at, uh, what are the, you know, what is your pedigree as a coach? I mean, there's a big range, but if I had to throw out a number there, maybe an average, you might be getting paid a thousand bucks a month, uh, per team that you coach. I don't know. I'm just throwing out an even number there. Okay. And the responsibility that comes with doing that activity, it's a lot. You are there at least two sessions per training sessions per week. Yep. Uh, an hour and a half, two hours, but that doesn't account for the drive there, the drive back, uh, the preparation before then the afterthoughts afterwards, cause you're staying after and parents want to talk to you and all kinds of stuff. So it's a, it's a good four or five hour chunk, um, that exists there. You're doing that twice, at least twice a week. Then you've got games on the weekend, many of which sometimes you have to travel. So maybe you have to jump in your car and you have to do all the prep work also. And they don't see the prep work, all of that for a thousand bucks a month, maybe. And you're doing this for three teams. So it's a full-time job. You're getting paid 3000 bucks a month. Put yourself in the coach's shoes where, where, you, where you got rent, you got all these bills to pay, your neck, I mean, you're being strangled here economically. And then you've got this expectation. And we're just to stick into our topic, Nick, because there's other expectations, but you have sure. this expectation now that you have to educate the parents every week for years just so that they can become more aligned with you and so that they don't interfere with the development process. It's too much, man. It's too much. And that's why so many coaches basically at some point become jaded, throw their hands in the air and they're like, fuck it. You know what parents? Yeah. I'm just going to do this for the money. I'm not going to do the prep work for the training. I'm not going to really care as much. I'm not going to talk to you as much. I'm not going to sit there, rack my brain for hours on end without you know, one, when I should be sleeping to try to really think about Johnny here, how can I really help Johnny? Parents don't understand that we're doing that, right? We're really thinking long and hard about these sorts of things. 
So some coaches get jaded. Like, Fuck it. You know, yeah, pay me my thousand bucks a month. I'll do the bare minimum and out we go. Um, so that was one point. The other point is, again, it's youth soccer here in the United States is a transactional relationship. Yep. Parents pay their fees. Uh, coaches coach the team. And that's the end of the story. And parents want more than that transactional relationship, which I agree with. Okay. But the nature of our system is that it's modeled that way because there's no promotion and relegation. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Right. It's true. And I I won't linger on this point, but parents do need to know if there was promotion and relegation at the professional soccer level, your youth club in all likelihood would have an adult team as well called the first team. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the incentives of the club now don't become as transactional, right? It's like, yeah, you, you'll still probably be paying fees to go there, but you have comfort in knowing as a parent that the club's incentive is to develop your kid to hopefully be on that first team one day, you see? And so the mind, the mind shift changes, the relationship changes, and then the club itself would also have the incentive of doing this parent education component instead of the individual coaches being left out on an island, having to to struggle and deal with this issue all by themselves. That's a good point. Um, God, I, I, I had a third point and now it's gone, Nick. So I don't know. <laughs> no, and, and I was going to ask you and pose this to you, you know, do you think it, the responsibility lies more on the shoulders of the club and the DOC to set this precedent or for each individual coach with, with each team to, to set the precedent for parent education, you know, because first of all, I think we can both agree there's not enough parent education happening right now. And second, if there is most of the times it's, in my opinion, it should be coming from the club so that these new coaches that are coming in, who have no idea about what they're about to get into in terms of fielding questions left and right about their every decision on the weekends, you know, they might need some support from the club, from the DOC. And and how heavily do you think that is being missed from a club-wide perspective and falling on the lap of these coaches who, yeah, for you know, better words, don't really know what to do? Well, I don't think the club really cares all that much, Nick. True. Because... Like we just finished talking about the incentives aren't there. There's no pro rail. Yeah, there's no pro rail and the incentives aren't there because the transaction is purely, uh, or yeah, the relationship is purely transactional. Uh, Give me your money. uh, And then we provide fields and handle all the rest. You just bring your kid. Yeah. Right. True. Um, And, and if you're a troublemaker parent, right, well, you're replaceable. You know, if it gets too bad from the club's perspective, Okay, goodbye, Johnny's uh, parents. You know, Rick over here has been wanting to be part of this team for a while. So we've still got our fees and it's all fine. And if we can't replace them immediately, big deal. You know, your annual fees are 2,000 bucks. Okay, so we're out 2,000 bucks for a little while, but we got rid of the problem. So that I think is the club's perspective. You see, they view them as customers. If you're a bad customer, we'll just get rid of the customer. and then there's some clubs have that implicit threat there. And I think most clubs nowadays, or a lot of them do hand out some sort of one pager or two pager 
with respect to parent conduct on the sidelines. Sportsmanship pa- policies. Yeah, yeah, whatever. All that sort of stuff. Hey, if you want to say stuff on the sideline, that's cool. Just make sure what it, what is allowed is like positive reinforcement and cheering. All that stuff is allowed, but sideline coaching is not allowed. So many clubs have that. They dish it out, but you know what the parents do with that? They wipe their butts with it, you know, <laughs> and, and do, do their that's thing so anyways. True. Okay. Yep. But that's the club's quote unquote effort, uh, that they exert. And that's, a, that's as far as they take it. But yeah, it rests solely on the individual coaches, um, plate to deal with the havoc on the weekends. And I'll add another little thing. I'm curious now whether the club should take full responsibility or what that would look like rather, um, because mm-hmm. maybe the individual coach has different capabilities and he's able to manage this better than somebody else. And maybe the coach, individual coach has his own vision of what he would like to have happen or not happen. And the coach, the club might be cracking down on things that the coach actually wants, or the club might not crack down on things that the coach doesn't want. So there has to be a coach club alignment as well, in my opinion. Um, but then again, the club is the umbrella. They get the, the ultimate say the coach is just an employee of sure, true. of the club. Um, I, I did remember my other point, Nick, if you'll allow me just a second. So sure. we were, we were talking about how long do the parents have to be educated? Do the coaches have to be doing this forever? And my answer was basically yes, as things currently exist, but that's why we, we've been working on this masterclass. This is what this masterclass is all about, Nick. And I'm not trying to plug it. It, this is literally what we're doing. We're trying to build a parent education platform such that they really get to understand the micro and the macro scale of their player's trajectory of an individual player's trajectory. So on the micro side, we're going to teach them about specific positions, what to look for in specific positions, what are good things, what are bad things, what a proper training session could look like, what proper training session probably isn't that great. And then on the macro side of the equation, you know, we're going to teach them from U9 up to and including professionals and how it all works from cradle to grave. And I think, you know, over the course of time, as they go through this program, which is a never ending program, it's not just a one shot deal and you read it, you know, in a week or in a month and then, oh, I got it. No, no, no. This is a, this is a lifelong sort of endeavor, but it's going to be so rich with gold nuggets from our personal experience at all the levels, uh, be it the lowest youth level to the highest youth level to the professional game itself. Sure. I think that, you know, at least for the parents that choose to participate in this, those coaches are going to benefit greatly, but we need some sort of program like that. I think at scale, the trouble is, and sorry for taking a tangent here, but the trouble is actually, it's not a tangent is the organization that could do something like this, namely us soccer, or maybe organizations, because there are big other, there are big soccer organizations out there that, that have wide scale distribution yeah, and access yeah. to, to families across the country. You can't rely on them to do this and do it right because there's, some, God, 
how do I say this without talking shit? I can't. <laughs> you gotta they, be honest. They don't the fucking truth. know, man. They don't yeah. fucking know. It's like relying on the government to provide, I don't know, great programs and great policy uh, in specific sectors of the economy. And the government is so lethargic and so frankly incompetent and don't have the skills required to execute things that they can't be relied upon for, for us to have a great space program, for instance. I don't know if you've seen this. I don't want to get into politics yet on this podcast <laughs> because there's a lot of politics in, in football and parents should be aware of that. Well, they are, but the ins and outs are important. Um, anyways, I digress. But Bernie Sanders, several weeks ago, went on the Senate floor and, you know, started railing on Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, you know, two of the wealthiest men in the world. And both of them have their own space programs. Jeff mm -hmm. Bezos with Blue Origin isn't as far along as Elon, certainly. But Elon has plans to go to Mars and it's remarkable to see what they've done at that company in space. And so Bernie, in his railing of these two guys said, these two guys shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't have two billionaires running the space program. The American people should be running the space program, which basically means NASA. NASA should be doing it and not, and we shouldn't have these two guys doing it. And if you look at the history of NASA or even now, because everybody came online and refuted this, um, NASA's budget is enormous and they have accomplished jack shit in space for decades. They don't have the competency anymore. Elon has the competency and the incentives aren't aligned. So Elon does things that NASA has never been able to do, can't do now for a tenth of the cost. And so I'm just trying to draw the parallel here between saying, oh, U.S. soccer should do this. Oh, MLS should do this. Oh, you know, coaches of America should do this thing. They can't. They can't do it. It's up to us. And so we're doing it. Very good point. You know, and you said lifelong learners, right? And I totally relate with that because I adopt that philosophy in everything I do. I, I love being a beginner at things and, and constantly learning. And if parents are expecting the coaches to pursue their licenses and continue to develop as coaches, we should probably expect the same of the parents and for them to learn how to develop as a supporting role in their kids' development. And correct me if I'm wrong, you've dealt with a lot of parents that put pressure on the kids or maybe didn't, but I think that parents can really make or break a kid's development. We've talked about this in other episodes, the environment that uh, athletes are growing up in and are surrounded by is huge and it can literally make or break a player. And so I think what, what you're doing with this parent education is huge because it gives the coaches like a sigh of relief, like, okay. The parents are actually learning as well. The kids are learning as well. I'm learning as well. We're all taking a stance of continual, continued development, and that's positive. But if the parents are not adopting that and they have no interest in it, then, you know, the kid is ultimately going to suffer. They're in the wrong environment. So do, do you agree that parents can really make or break a kid's development? Yeah, there's no question. Many years ago, I wrote down what I thought are the five big components of player development, right? Uh, off the top of my head, there's the club environment. Yeah. There's the individual training environment. There's the playing on your own, uh, pickup and culture 
and there's the family uh, environment, family influence. And it's humongous because for all the reasons, I'm not saying anything new here, you're the parent. You get into your kids' brains more than anybody uh, for the most part. And you're basically programming your kid. Sure, there's a lot of genetics and kids are who they are that exist, but you actually are also creating the environment that could derail them or put them on a good track. Um, and I hate to beat the horse here, but if you're saying stuff that opposes the coach or is aligned with the coach, those are going to have two very different trajectories for that kid, in my opinion. Um, and it's a shame that we can't live both lives. We can't see the universe split in two and then see what happens along both trajectories. Mm -hmm. So this is still conjecture, but I wholeheartedly believe that in those two extremes, that one, the kid is being told the same thing by the parent and the coach. And the other situation is the parent and the coach are saying the opposite things to the kid. I think that kid lives two, has two very different careers in soccer. That's very true. That's a great point. All right, let's digress a little bit, but just yep. keep on the parent topic. Yep. Uh, I want to talk about parents that at a young age and continued into later development that are constantly overpraising their players mm. and telling their kid how good they are. I remember we talked about, you know, as coaches giving lifetime feedback and being honest in our assessments. But I know for a fact, especially in this generation, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but parents love to tell their kids how good they are, even when they are not that good. And not only do they do that, but they want to go to the coach and tell them how good their kid is. They want to go to other coaches in the club and say, oh my gosh, my kid is eight. And look, look how many goals he scored this weekend. You know, what does that do to a young player? And can it be positive? I'm seeing it a lot. And I don't know if it's a generational thing, if we're in this, let's all be positive and, and cheerful for our, our young players. Um, but I am a fan of the truth because the truth is what helps set people free. And so, you know, it's so cheesy, but it's so true. So sometimes when we're giving these kids the praise that maybe they don't deserve, is that counterproductive to what we as coaches are trying to do? Well, feedback loops are everything. And yeah. they keep it simple. There's positive feedback loops and negative feedback loops. Positive feedback loops is, I think, what the parents in our modern day society, uh, for for reasons I completely disagree with, um, <laughs> are, are are trying to do. It's like, hey, say only positive things. Say, oh, you're doing good. You're doing great. That was awesome. That was awesome. That was awesome. And then the human gets a good feeling out of being told that everything's great. And with that good feeling, I think the thought is with that good feeling, you want to continue with the activity, um, and, you know, continue with the activity, having this great feeling will make you better. I think that's some piece of the psychology there, but if, if what's being praised is actually bad, then you are reinforcing something that is incorrect in the real world. So if the kid is getting the ball in midfield, just throwing out an example, getting the ball in midfield, yeah. um, he clearly has a teammate wide open. He sees the teammate wide open and instead decides to turn and uh, with two people draped on his back, he turns and tries to dribble by 
two people or three people. That's a, that's a bad soccer IQ. You know, you want to do it once just to experiment or something. You want to do it during pickup games to develop that skill. If you have two people on your back, maybe how to wiggle by, great. But again, not 10 out of 10 times, right? Nine out of 10 times, maybe he should dish it to his open teammate right there and not turn into traffic, you know, and try to mm -hmm. do the impossible. And, but if the parent, right, is saying, oh, good try, good try, every single time they do that, that's bad, right? Yeah. Um, anyways, going to negative feedback loops, I think we all need those. That's, I think negative feedback loops is how we actually get better. Nick, yes. you do something wrong, the real world slaps you in the face, and it doesn't have to be a person that slaps you in the face. It could just be the outcome of your action. You get slapped in the face, you adjust. Okay, how do I not get slapped next time? And figure out the correct solution so that things go well for you next time. Negative feedback loops, I think, are the fundamental piece of the learning process. That is what matters. The positive feedback loop, I don't think, is the fundamental piece. If you're always positive from birth, you probably will never walk. You know what I mean? <laughs> the reason you walk is because you fall 500,000 times. And eventually you learned, right, to stand up and walk. So, yeah, man, I don't know what else to say about that. I think, I think we have an issue in, in our society at large with this posture of always being positive, 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 even when things are being grossly done. Yeah, absolutely. And when I wrote the notes for this episode, I really wanted to cater it to the parents and, and for them to listen and get something out of this. And I think something that is really important for parents of young players, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, whatever. Um, and you've seen this firsthand, I'm sure, but they need to know that players that are really good at 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, oftentimes might fizzle out and not be so good when they, when they develop, you know? And so I want to hear from your perspective how often you've seen that. Kids that are showing amazing qualities that just, you know, over the course of five years fizzle out because maybe they're being overpraised, maybe they're being overpressured. The parents are, are, you know, involved in every decision that they make. How many, Gary, in, in your time that you've been around the game, have you seen fizzle out? I mean, I, countless, Nick, absolutely countless. And it doesn't have to be the, the great players at 8, 9, or 10. I've seen great players at 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, yep. 17, 18, 19, 20. Great players at that stage in their life. And then they fizzle out and the reasons are plentiful. Yeah. It doesn't always have to be the parents, but I do, I do understand, uh, what you mentioned here for say like the eight, nine and 10 year olds, cause parents get really excited at that age. Yeah. Yep. Um, cause their kid is just coming of age where they can actually do certain things and maybe they're killing it on the weekend, scoring goals galore, dribbling by five players doing something amazing and yeah looks great um it means nothing <laughs> <laughs> that's it, the message it, that i wanted mean, the parents to hear gary that's it, exactly what it, they need to it hear. means nothing could sometimes it could even mean 
I mean, one might say, oh, no, I understand, Gary. Like, this is a long process. There's many years to come. But look, look, the potential, sky's the limit, right? No, not even that in many cases can you even say because the perspective is too local. It's too local. You're doing, yep. who are you playing against? What is your physical maturity like relative to everybody at this stage? There's just so many contexts to build into why the player might be excelling at this point that if you don't take all those things into consideration, it's hard to isolate whether this is talent, talent, or whether it's other factors maybe that are making you look super talented. True. And even if, again, even if you are super talented, like I just finished saying minutes ago, it doesn't mean that you're going to make it because the mentality piece of the puzzle is so crucial. What if now that a nine, 10 year old is now 14, 15, 16, uh, their physical components aren't a differentiator. You're still probably the most talented person, but maybe you run into some adversity, you know, maybe, maybe the club decides to play you up a year or two years to, to accelerate your development or something. And then you run to adversity because you can't dribble by those two or three guys. You can't even dribble by one guy anymore. Mm -hmm. And all those years you didn't develop other tools in your tool belt as to how to handle that, how to be elusive off the ball, how to play one touch football, how to have subtle body feints to get by a player. You were just blowing by people. And now you're encountering this adversity. Maybe the player doesn't handle that mentally and they start getting turned off or whatever. There's a million reasons, Nick, that all of a sudden you can go on a downward spiral from yep. there. Is the parent's fault? Maybe, but maybe not. Uh, but parents do need to be aware of these sorts of things, that there's levels and that with every graduation to the next level, there are challenges. Unless you are a outrageous outlier like Messi, who can get away with maybe not being at 100% all the time, you're in mm -hmm. trouble. You're going to be in a dogfight for the rest of your career. And... That dogfight means that you're getting negative feedback from the real world. Exactly. So from the parents' perspective, I think the parents need to inject some negative feedback of their own throughout their kid's trajectory. Say a little uh, comment here, there, hey man, son, listen, you could have done better in this situation, could have done better in that situation. It probably wasn't the best to turn when you had two guys draped all over your back. It was probably best that you had touched the ball to Mark right there. Um, these are little negative feedbacks, but look at the tone in which I said them. You can do it the right way and yeah. don't always praise the kid because the world is going to slap them down in a very ugly manner at some point. Absolutely. Well, that's all I have. My big takeaway for parents listening is I, I feel like you really got to remove the glasses in which you view one season at a time and switch to a five to seven year view. And what that will do for the parents and the kids will serve them whatever their development path is. The second thing, like you said, is giving them negative feedback loops in the right manner, in the right tone for constructive use and so that they can move on and the last thing is is the parents need to have the same mentality as their kid and the coaches the kid is constantly learning three times a week the coach is constantly learning about the kids the parents need to do the same 
Yeah, I'll make one remark on that because this is not a black and white issue. I think we've expressed a lot of truths here, but it's not black and white. For example, yeah. and, and now the parents are going to cling on to this one. Ready? Um, what if my son starts playing soccer? And you've seen my history in the game, Nick. So my son starts playing soccer. Yeah. And he's got a particular coach. And what's running through my head is this fucking coach knows nothing, knows jack shit. You know what I mean? Um, am I supposed to be aligned with the coach? You, you, you see the conundrum there, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, and, and it's not to be demeaning to the coach or, or anything, but what if you have a quote unquote dumbass coach coaching your kid? Well, that's an issue. What if the parent happens to know more about football than the coach? What if the parent happens to know more about what their son or daughter needs at this moment in time? having that five or 10 year view already, what they need exactly. now than the coach does. So that asymmetry could exist. What then? And, but that's the gray area, right? Cause a lot of parents who may not have an extensive background or any background or they're going to think I know more than the coach, right? Most, <laughs> most parents start thinking that way or, sure, or they actually sure. do think that way. And so there's the difficulty, right? is how does one judge the capabilities and capacity of the coach? How does one judge whether this coach is actually putting in the hard work, even though he's grossly underpaid? Uh, how do you judge the alternative, whether this coach is just cashing in and doesn't give a shit about my player or the team or nothing? These issues with discernment are difficult. Yeah. So it, it, this is a hard problem. It's a good topic that you brought up, Nick. I, I just want to throw in a little bit of a gray area there, but I think the key is education and communication between Absolutely. everybody involved. Absolutely. And because those parents and coaches on the sideline, it's a very small percentage, you know, and, yeah. but the, the dumbass coaches, that's often a bigger percentage, you know, especially here in America. Right. So, so parents are running into that situation all over the place. And like you said, it's, it's a fine line that they have to walk of my coach that's coaching. My kid knows nothing here. I know a little bit, maybe a little bit more than him. Do I step in? Do I engage? You know, where do we go from here? So those situations are panning out all across the country. So I think, like you said, education is the key and the coach, you know, if it's a dumbass coach, hopefully he's taking a growth mindset and trying to become better. You know, that's what our job is as coaches is to constantly improve and never be stagnant. So I think from all three parties, the kids, the coach, the parents, you know, there has to be continual growth and continual education throughout the course of a player's development. Yeah. And the, and the club, whoever's in charge the of the club, club as well, whoever's in charge yeah. of the club, they need to up their game too. It's how things are here in this country for the most part is a disaster at all levels, be it the youth and the pro level people fucking don't they they need more education as well uh and, yeah. and the, at the in the youth case nick most of the youth clubs are operated by parents or former parents of players they, they aren't operated by soccer people in general that's a very good point you know talking about the docs and the relationship between them and the coaches i think that's a whole another episode because i know many clubs where the doc is completely checked out and cashing out because you know that's a big salary sometimes and it is a lot of work to do but their job director of coaching means that they are the ones that are supposed to help the coaches grow 
And I don't think that's happening a lot in, in many clubs from my experience. So, you know, that's something maybe we can talk about in another episode. Um, but, you know, parents have to navigate this landscape and most of them don't really have an idea. So I think not to plug the masterclass again, but, you know, that search for knowledge is huge and, and having a platform to give parents is huge. So very appreciative of you and the work that you're doing. We'll get there, Nick. Yes, sir. All right, brother. <laughs> Let's call it a wrap. Very nice. Stick okay. parents. <laughs> Joystick <laughs> parents. Uh, that that actually might be a good title. Yeah, because they've demonized coaches who joystick. <laughs> this is like, all right, bitch, uh, here's a shot across your bow now. It's Joystick right back coaches. at you. No, yeah. and <laughs> it's so funny because the situation that arose and, and that is giving me all these insights is a parent who was criticizing one of our coaches for, you know, being a joystick coach, being very involved in the kid's decision-making. But, you know, he knows soccer. Mm -hmm. And then a couple weeks later, the parent is on the sideline doing the exact same thing. So it's like, who are you yelling at here? You should be yelling at yourself. So, yeah, this one was definitely, you know, directed for the parents, but I want them to be better. That's all. They got to be better. Of course, one big happy family, Nick. All right, <laughs> we can call it a wrap on this episode. Sweet. All right, Gary, we'll see you soon. I'm coming home in like a week, so I'll be down for, uh, we can do some live episodes and get some shit rolling. That would be really, really good. All right, keep me posted. Thanks, Nick. Okay. Ciao. Well, that's it for today, guys. Thank you for listening. A reminder for coaches, you can get both the free and premium coaching programs at 343coaching.com. Don't let anyone tell you your teams can't win by playing dominant possession-based football while also developing individual players to the highest levels. Nonsense. We've proved it at every single level and so have hundreds of serious member coaches across the country. Now that we've moved on to the pro level, we're delivering everything we've learned in the program. Don't wait and continue delaying getting on a proven path. And parents, 343masterclass.com is where you want to go to get a working compass for navigating the American soccer landscape with your player. It's pretty bad out there, but let our experience guide you. Until next time, cheers everyone and keep building.